Hey everybody, welcome back to Anime Stroganoff. Hey! It's part two of whatever this ends up being called. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're still workshopping that title. But, uh, after we spend all of last week uh, getting, getting legal team off our back, I think it's time we can finally talk about the actual meat of the, the subject. So, uh, Death Wish. Which, actually, I, I, I do now have to make a retraction. The, our first official retraction on Anime Stroganoff. I said that Death Wish was a 1974 film starring uh, Charles Bronson. I was wrong. It is actually a 2007 film called The Brave One, starring Jodie Foster. No, sorry, I think I read that wrong again. Sorry, it is a 2018 film called Death Wish, starring Bruce Willis. Or, no, there's another line here. It says, Peppermint 2018, Jennifer Garner? Anyway, so that joke went on way too long, but... Uh, yeah, this is a film that has been remade way too many times. And it very much loses something in every retell. So, uh, these are not the only films that draw inspiration from Death Wish. Or are reimaginings of Death Wish. Or in the case of the 2018 film of the called Death Wish is basically, hey, it's it's a reboot of Death Wish. We got really old uh, Bruce Willis in it. He has not aged well. No comment. <laughs> no comment. Like, a lot of people can pull off the shaved head look, and he's not one of them. Anyway. Anyway, so, yeah, fundamentally, Death Wish. It's been, been a while, actually, since I watched Death Wish, the original. Um, not so long, I've, I've also watched it about three or four times, it's a really good movie. Uh, I, I've watched the Brave one. Only the, like the one one and a half times, but it but it still was a very good film. Uh, the two other ones on this list, the twenty eighteen reboot, and the twenty eighteen, they couldn't call it Death Wish, but it is absolutely just a rip off of Death Wish. Uh, they're both terrible, but so. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to remember here. <laughs> I don't think I actually said what Death Wish was last week. No, you there did not. There was a whole lot of talking about why Death Wish, but there was not a lot of talking about what Death Wish or who Death Wish. As usual, we buried the lead. <laughs> <laughs> we buried the lead so hard. We we only brought it up in episode two. We had to get yeah. out excavation equipment for this one. <laughs> so, it's a very basic plot. 
Death Wish. It is based on a book. The book is served as inspiration for the film. Really, the book is kind of its own thing. Uh, we're not going to be talking about the book at all, aside from the just now. <laughs> so, um, but it's a very basic plotline, really. It's not, like, imaginative or anything. Uh, Paul Kiernsey, Kiernsey, I can't pronounce that name. Uh, he's a guy in New York City. Well, actually, it opens up with him and his wife, like, having happy vacation time in Hawaii. And then they come back to New York City. But he is a, he's a guy who lives and works in New York City. He's an architect. And he goes on a vacation with his lovely wife. And then they come back. And then stuff happens. Uh, and then on a, a, after a trip to the grocery store, his wife and his... I actually can never remember if it's supposed to be his daughter or daughter-in-law. Uh, they're not, like, abundantly clear in the movie. It doesn't necessarily matter all that much. But uh, in a horrific act of random violence... His wife and daughter are beaten, raped, and his wife is killed, and his daughter goes into a coma. All in all, and fun times. <laughs> all in all, fun times. Yeah. So, uh, he's not feeling in a particularly good headspace. So his company's like, hey, man, uh, it might be it might be best for you to like take your mind off of things. Why don't you you know why don't we send you on basically a working vacation to Arizona? You know you can take your mind off of the absolutely terrible thing that has happened to your family. You can get some fresh air. You can not be miserable around us. So they I mean, send him. <laughs> I mean he'd still be miserable, just you know in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that makes you more miserable, though. Suck it, so, Arizona. They go out to Arizona. It might have been like, it, it's the Southwest. It's cowboys and desert. Suck it, Arizona. Uh, but yeah, so they go out there to like Arizona or New Mexico or some shit. Uh, meets a just fucking cowboy who's like, yeah, we want to put in a suburb here, but I don't want to. I don't want to just flatten out all these hills. I want the, I want the homes and neighborhoods to contour with the land. People can be one with the land. And so you know, it's like, oh, let's go see the cowboy show. <laughs> we get to see like the, the the tourist trap cowboy attraction, where the the the, the sheriff pretends to shoot bank robbers. And he takes the he takes Kersey out to the shooting range. He's like, you know, ah, uh, like I said, this is this does have a message to say. And she's like, oh no, no you, this is what happens when when you when you leave behind the cowboy times, and you you don't carry your guns to protect yourself. I'm making fun of this guy's action. It's not actually not that bad, but <laughs> but uh, so then Paul. Spends, I believe, several months there. 
Like, there's a, there's a montage. I, I'm not entirely certain how long he spends there, but he does, you know, spend quite a bit of time there and gets his head somewhat straightened out. And when he goes to fly back, the dude's like, hey, uh, are you checking this bag with security? <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah. Like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Just, you know, I'm going to put this package in there for you. It's a going away present from visiting Cowboy Land. So he flies back to New York. And he gets there, and he opens up his suitcase, and he opens up the package, and it's a fucking gun. Because this was the 70s, you see. This was the 70s, and you could just fly with, a, with an unsecured handgun in your luggage. <laughs> As was the fashion at the time. <laughs> Not today. No. I do love, this is a smite tangent here, but I do love movies that fundamentally revolve around something that's legal that is not legal today. <laughs> like, there's this 1984 movie called Tank, I think it was. It's just about some dude who, like, the corrupt hick sheriff of some Georgia town or some shit, like, arrests his son. And it's like, oh, I'm gonna, like, have your son be gang-raped in prison because you weren't nice to me. So the dude who has just a tank sitting around gets in his tank, like, knocks over the prison, rescues his son and this prostitute, and then they, like, roll off <laughs> down the highway in their tank to get to the next state over because the states are able to refuse extradition back in those days. And this is like, we're going to cross state lines, and then we're going to flip them off and be like, well, you can't, can't touch us over here because you're corrupt. <laughs> that was a family movie. <laughs> <laughs> the 80s were a hell of a time. <laughs> anyway, what was I doing? Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Flies back to New York. And... He starts going on long walks at night through New York City in the 70s. And I believe we had previously established that New York City in the 70s is not the place where you go on long walks in the night if you value your life. And someone tries to mug him. And that person dies. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a vigilante film. He you know, he comes back and he becomes this vigilante who just goes around at night and when people try and mug him, he guns them down. And there's there's more to the plot than that, but that's that's fundamentally, like, the gist of it. And so, that alone isn't what makes this a good movie. <laughs> that is probably the plot of about 50 different disposable, generic action movies from the 70s and 80s. What makes it so, such a good film is, aside from the whole, like, yeah, pick up your, pick up your guns and use the cowboy spirit <laughs> to, to, to defend yourself, it's, it's fundamentally a story about a man who loses his his family is ripped apart in a horrible random act of violence he no longer feels safe on the streets of his own city and so he basically rejects society 
and society's, you know, rules in order to... How do you think the how do you think Death Wish ends, Lyle? Like, it, what do you think like the big climactic scene of Death Wish is? Uh well, I know there's sequels, so I assume he rides off into the sunset. Not entirely wrong, but like the the big climactic scene, not the ending. Oh. Like, what do you think the if I had... conventional narrative way of the of having the climax? You know, guy, family torn apart by violent thugs goes and becomes a vigilante. What do you think is the climax? Uh, if I had to guess, first thing that comes to my head would be he causes the same thing to someone else and realizes he's become a monster or something like that. Am um. I... How far off am I? Very. Uh, okay. Not a bad, not a bad plot development, but uh, absolutely wrong. Okay. <laughs> but what I was kind of going for is like the standard thing for a you know revenge vigilante film would be him getting revenge on. Oh yeah. The, the people who you know wronged him. Oh yeah. No, no. I I already knew that he doesn't like because I've I haven't seen it, but I know of it, and I know he does not find the guy who did it to him in the first place. Yes. That is absolutely what takes this from, like, a standard movie to, like, a 10 out of 10. Uh, he never finds these people. It, when I say it was a random act of violence, it was literally three people out of a city of millions just happened to choose that house that day. And then they fade away into, into nothingness. He never gets closure. He, 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 he's not even hunting them specifically. He doesn't even know who they are. He doesn't even know what they look like. He has nothing to go on. Because it's, it's not like, oh, like you can personally take revenge for blah, blah, blah. Like, no. That ship has sailed. Uh, the horrible thing has happened. He, when we see his character develop through the movie, he becomes, you know, more confident, more. I don't know if happy is the word, but um, content. It's not because he is, you know, taking revenge. That's not actually what's giving him satisfaction in life. It, it's very clearly we're seeing that he is getting satisfaction out of the fact that he has taken control over the situation. He no longer feels helpless. Well, after the after the robbery, there's a scene in which he makes a like a sock flail <laughs> because he has nothing he has, he has nothing to protect himself with, and someone tries to mug him and he hits him with the sock flail, and he ba he's, he's like practically having a breakdown. He's like, "Yes, I didn't get stabbed. <laughs> Truly, what a joyous day!" When you're the victim of a you know random act of violence, you will almost never see closure, and that's kind of the point like like I've been saying like he he never gets closure we never see them again and that is one of several things that the every single remake of death wish has gotten wrong <laughs> every single one has decided like oh we have to go with the like satisfying ending 
of the character who has been, you know, victimized, getting revenge and closure on their victimizer. Yeah, or it's like, uh, the random act of violence was actually part of something bigger. I I don't know if that's necessarily part of any of them, uh, but I can of, definitely I, see. Kind of, actually, with Peppermint a little bit. Oh, okay. But, um... It, they, it always has to end with, like... The uh, good guy facing down the bad guy who wronged him and yeah, taking in, him out. In the brave one Jodie Foster's character and, like, the cop hunting her, like, they they find the people who did them wrong, who did her wrong, and she kills them, and the cop Arisa cover it up for her, and then she walks off with the dog that they stole. <laughs> she gets her dog back. <laughs> And then that's that's it. That it's like oh, like she's she's reached a happy ending. Uh in the 2018 remake of Death Wish, like they're like oh god, like the dude that we victimized randomly has been taking out criminals, and then they like launch a full scale raid on his house, and he has like machine guns and shit strapped under chairs. He's ready for him. Uh Peppermint is just terrible. <laughs> okay. And it's like, oh, they were killed in a like semi-random act of violence, like it was planned because like her husband was working with this guy and that guy wanted to like rob money from the cartel or something. And her husband was like, How about nah? That sounds like a shit plan. But the cartel is like, oh, he was involved, he has to die. I fucking hate Peppermint. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. Uh, but uh, like ultimately, the original Death Wish is um a man is hurt by the world and decides to take control by lashing out at anything that could possibly hurt him. Yes, the the pain of Paul Kernsey is just the story of random people inflicting damage on random people. No one was selected, nothing was preordained, it was all down to a celestial coin toss. There's no no way they could have avoided it, there's nothing they could have done to stop it, other than simply things had gone different, a cloud had shifted or something. There's nothing preventing it from happening, other than the whim of God. Because... I guess in real life in real life uh things don't narratively form perfect little arcs and that's one part of it another part of it is the manner in which they do their thing um in the original death wish all he does is just walk around and let people mug him, at which point he shoots them. Um, he never really seeks... Out, I mean, he's, he's actively seeking out danger, but he never seeks out danger. He, he lets it come to, to him, which is, you know, part of the whole, you know, it's not personal, it's all just random, you know generic person off the street versus a generic person off the street 
I, I still feel like he would go down for pre- premeditated murder. I feel like a really good lawyer, and if he was in a place like Texas, could get him off. Yeah, but, like, with a consistent uh, track record of, oh yeah, I was just, you know, out at night, and then I was getting mugged, so I shot him. <laughs> and I did this to 20 people in the past week. <laughs> I'm definitely not a serial killer. <laughs> Trust me, guys. <laughs> Like that—that serial killer behavior. It a, it a little bit. He is like kind of like the again. Part of the whole thing is is that it's not just like oh like the movie is like romancing the whole cowboy ethos, but it is also kind of deconstructing it a little bit because he's basic. He's literally like living out a cowboy fantasy, and it's not exactly shown as the most healthy thing for him. Uh at one at one point, it actually is. This is one of the scenes that stuck out to me after I chose to rewatch Death Wish. I have to cleanse my mouth of peppermint. Was at one point he's just like walking through a like abandoned subway platform or something. Someone walks up to him, like he's like, "All right, I'm gonna get mugged. Yes, time to time to kill." And he was like, "Hey, uh, got a light?" And he's not disappointed. Part of this is Charles Bronson. Uh, Charles Bronson, he says that he's not a good actor. He's, in my opinion, a very underrated actor because Charles Bronson, uh, he he said that he never he never played a character. He played a presence. He was never meant to really be the person on screen, which is just sort of a a feeling, an archetype. Uh, he did that very well, in my opinion, but. Uh, just Bronson's body language is is perfect. Kernsey visibly like relaxes. It's like, oh, you know what? I don't have to kill someone today. This is a good thing. At which point, the guy then pulls a knife and tries to mug him, so he shoots him. But <laughs> Kernsey, he he revels in doing what he does, but he never wants to kill people i get he, he, he let me let me let me rephrase that he wants to kill people he will only do it with a reason and he doesn't want to be given a reason it's like the old cowboy movie thing of the hero can't draw his gun first he always has to react to the bad guys trying to draw on him and that's not just me saying that that is uh, me drawing from parallels directly in the film, where in the actual like big climactic scene, uh, some people tried to mug him, shot a couple of them. Uh, one of them like shot and wounded him, and then like another one like got away. So he's hunting this guy down through like the streets and the alleyways and a train yard, and he finally corners the guy. He has him dead to rights out in the open, has his gun ready. And instead of just shooting him, he demands, fill your hand, you son of a bitch. And then collapses. (laughs) (laughs) Because he won't shoot an unarmed man. But by God, if if you give him a reason, he will gun you down with no hesitation. That's horrifying. (laughs) Yes. Like I said, like, 
it's it's very much like a yeah like you know protect yourself but it's also very much a uh this man has been twisted by what has happened to him yeah fucking yikes (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's actually a really well done scene it's like it's yeah, yeah, it's reveling in the whole Callaway mythos that the or like it steeped itself in, even though it's like a gritty, dark New York film noir almost style thing. But but it's evoking it, the old uh, cowboy, the, the westerns of old. Yes, but it does not shy away from the fact that Paul Kernsey is not fully in a normal state of mind. One might say he is quite ill, and spending months in Arizona being taught how to shoot a gun by a guy who... By a fucking (laughs) cowboy! (laughs) Maybe that wasn't the pinnacle of mental health treatment. Then again, this was the 70s. This was the 70s? That was a a different time. That was a time when we lobotomized people. The only good Death Wish remake that I've ever seen was the Brave one. Because it, it, it does fall into the trap of having to have like the narratively satisfying ending of her... I don't remember what her character's name was, but it's, it's played, she's played by Jodie Foster. Um, having her get her revenge on the people who victimized her, but... Even then, uh, while while she she's not really like necessarily looking for them, she more or less kind of chances upon it. Uh, before then, uh, she buys she, when she when she gets her gun. Uh, obviously, you can't fly back to New York with it anymore. So they have her pick it up from like a a gun dealer, an underground gun dealer. Well, specifically, she goes into a gun store to buy one. And the dude's like, uh, yeah, there's these things called, like, waiting periods and stuff, so... No. So she leaves dejected, and then, like, some guy's like, hey, I see you want to buy a gun. Step into my shady alleyway. <laughs> but, um... In that one, she's a... a Paul Currency's an architect. In that one, uh, Jodie Foster's character is, like, a radio show host. It's actually really interesting. And so she... It's... Basically, podcasts before there were podcasts. I don't know, were there podcasts in 2007? Uh, was there an iPod in 2007? I don't think, I think the iPhone didn't come out until 2008, right? No, 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 iPod. Yeah, I, I don't know. She Basically, she does, like, radio podcasting. And so, uh, this is what makes, what clenches it as a fantastic movie for me is, like, her first night on, like, back on live radio. Uh, like, her, like, all their, her boss is like, oh, you know, I think she needs to take more time off. She's not ready for this. She freezes up. <laughs> There's just, like, a minute of dead air before she launches into a very nice monologue about what it, fe- about what it means to feel unsafe. Like, there could be danger at any corner in your own city, in your own home. Very nicely done. Um, yeah, so it, it, at least that one fully reinforces and goes in on the themes of what it's like to live in a place and a time where 
you at least feel like random violence could destroy your life at any moment. And that one, she's out walking her dog with her, like, fiancé or something. And they, like, go into, like, a, under those one of those, like, pedestrian bridges and they get jumped by, like, five guys. Beat her half to death. Beat him all the way to death. Steal her dog. Why would you steal a man's dog? Because they were assholes. <laughs> Probably the cousins of the guys from John Wick. <laughs> in in the 2018 Death Wish, uh, it, it, it's it's again just sort of like they get picked randomly for violence. Um, but it it turns out like oh like they were randomly picked for violence, but the violent people had connections that enables them to do all sorts of shit. In uh, Peppermint, like I said, it was some sort of like cartel thing, and then that led to like a whole conspiracy and s- stuff. I mean, I suppose that that does make sense for making a more interesting movie because you can't just do Death Wish again. Yeah, it's more action packed, but wait, really? I when you said conspiracy, I would have guessed that it was more of like a thriller. No, like the original Death Witch is like a hard action thriller. Uh, yeah. With him both like, like not just like, you know, meeting out vengeance on people at night, but also having to like dodge the cops that are hunting for him and do all this stuff. Like, are they going to get him? Oh, like they're finding the evidence. Uh, Peppermint straight up just like, there's a conspiracy, so I'm going to do violent things to people. Okay. <laughs> kind of fundamentally, you can tell if a Death Wish movie or a Death Wish inspired movie is going to be good by how long it takes for them to start killing people. Uh, in the original Death Wish, it was about 42 minutes, I counted, for him to kill the first person on screen. Uh, like his first, someone tries to mug him and he shoots him. 42 minutes. Of, how long's the movie? I don't know, like two hours? Okay. Fair. Hour and a half, two hours. It's a standard movie length. I would have figured like an hour and a half. But still, that's like about a third to a halfway through the movie. That's a while. Yeah, it's a while. Let me guess, all the other ones, they're like, oh no, I must use this power it was an hour response. And a half. <laughs> so halfway through the movie, before people, well, aside from the intro, uh, before people start dying. It's restrained. In the brave one, like her first kill comes uh, in what's almost I want to say an homage to Taxi Driver. Actually, uh, she's in like a convenience shop, and she ends up having like someone like comes in. I can't remember if he's robbing the place or no. I think it was like robbing the place, and she like shoots him to protect the store owner. That was like a decent portion of the film. Uh the 2018 death wish it's it's not like quit like right off the bat but still like he's a surgeon some kid comes in having been shot oh yeah this is also something very important in the first in in death wish then said before all the kills are technically in self-defense uh aggravated self-defense if anything but technically self-defense in the brave one, aside from the whole killing the people that stole her dog and beat her husband or fiance or whatever, all the kills are in self-defense. The first kill in Death Wish 2018 
like a kid comes in having been shot in some gang drive-by or something. I think he was involved in the gang or something. He dropped a gun on the floor of the hospital. Uh, Bruce Willis's currency picks up the gun, like gets information from the kid of where it happened, then just walks up in broad daylight and shoots a drug dealer to death on his lawn. That was a murder. (laughs) (laughs) That's premeditated. Well, that is premeditated murder. You could, you could potentially a good lawyer could plead down to murder too. Yeah, but no, you're not getting anything below that. Uh, peppermint. I think it was eighteen seconds. <laughs> what? Before really? like, the it move, it, the movie opens in media res. They decided that no one would be able to hold their attention span otherwise. Of her splattering one of the guy involved brains over the like window of a car. And then she hangs a bunch of them upside down from meat hooks from a Ferris wheel. Okay. Yeah. No. Like I'm saying. Like fuck peppermint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can, I can, yeah. For for all of Paul Kernsey's cowboy idealization, he never resorted to acts of domestic terror <laughs> to to okay. to get his vengeance. She blew up a judge in his house. What? He was apparently involved in the conspiracy. I'm gonna be honest. It took me a while to make that connection, even after she blew him up. Because I'm like. Yeah, he was like the judge who tried like the random Mex- the random cartel guys who you say shot and killed your daughter and husband, but I'm going to be honest, if I was on that jury, there's reasonable doubt. <laughs> yeah. Like like the judge like, oh, like the judge is corrupt. He would have convicted without him like, nah, like he raised a very salient point. That you were like what a dozen yards away in the dark, and you and and then you watched them through like a window for like a split second as they drove by. Like that's not really enough to get a positive like ID on someone's face. And then yeah, I get that's like oh like it's part of the conspiracy to discredit her, but you were placed on antipsychotics, <laughs> like like. So, like, I'm just thinking from, from, from the perspective of a normal person, we have a lady who has absolutely zero reliable ability to have seen these people, who has a documented history of mental illness, who flips her shit and leaps from the witness stand to try and attack someone in the courtroom. I would I, not I, convict <laughs> under these circumstances. Yeah, definitely not. But no, like, the judge is part of the conspiracy when he has her committed to a mental institution. Again, for attempting to murder someone in a courtroom. I feel like that's illegal. Then she escapes from the, the, the ambulance taking her to the mental hospital. Then she travels, like, abroad to other countries to hide out with, like, rebel groups in the jungles of Cambodia and stuff. Then she this comes is... back to America two years later to start what? like taking apart the cartel and like the judge conspiracy and everything that like prevented her from getting justice. You were literally a dom- you were literally a domestic terrorist at this point. You robbed a gun store. You plowed a vehicle into the side to steal a bunch of guns, and you're living in a van. <laughs> 
No, but you see, Eating it's for, Girl it's for justice. Cookies. <laughs> no, but you see, it's for justice. So that makes it okay. <laughs> oh my god, it's a shit movie. All right. Ah. Uh, I'd say it has mildly racist undertones, but I'm gonna be honest. I don't think it's well written enough to be racist. I think it's just bad. I mean, you can be bad and racist. Because it's like, oh, like this, like, suburban white house housewife uh, suddenly turns into the fucking Terminator. And she moves into a van in, like, the slums of this Hispanic minority neighborhood. And they all worship her as their savior and they have a mural of her as an angel. I'm like, I'm not yeah. sure if that's racist. It's but very I feel racist. like the message you're trying to get across here is slightly weird. Well, the uh, classic white savior trope. Yeah, like I again, I don't think that was necessarily intentional. So much as just like, you- and then all the all the and then all the disenfranchised people worship her because she's super awesome and she kills the bad guys. Let's stop talking about this movie because it's. Very, it sounds it's very shit. uncomfortable. <laughs> it's awful. It it certainly sounds very uncomfortable. I'm gonna be honest. I don't remember the ending. Like the one dude turned out, the one dude who incidentally, like from his first appearance on screen, I immediately called the twist that he was like the traitor because she's working with, like some FBI agent or something who's like helping her take down the cartel. As soon as I saw him on screen, even though he was actively helping, I'm like, all right, he's the traitor. He's the (laughs) one who will betray her. And he did. Wait, so you're telling me this whole thing was a, a, whatchamacallit, a government-sanctioned operation? No, because he was dirty. He was working for the cartel. Oh, okay. I think he was using her to, like, clear, like, the cartel's opposition or some shit. I don't know. And this was an FBI agent? Well, yeah, like a corrupt FBI agent. That doesn't make any sense. It would have made more sense to be a CIA agent. Yeah, anyway, so whole thing just awful. Yeah. Are are we going to bring up the Death Wish sequels? Uh, I'd rather not. Okay. <laughs> the, the sequels are what happens when you take the subtlety and, like, the meaningful, like, connections of the original of like you know this is a man deeply in pain uh you know society is you know has failed uh you know people need to like come together blah 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 uh if you immediately throw all that shit out and go and then he goes around and then he shoots the bad guy yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah shoot that bad guy (laughs) The Death Wish sequels did nothing that any of the Death Wish reboots didn't. So, all in all, Death Wish, an excellent standalone film. An excellent standalone film. It's a dang shame no one ever tried to make another one. The one with Jodie Foster is pretty good, at least. I, I, I do recommend watching it. There's this one trailer that supposedly exists for it that is set to the song X Gonna Give It To You. What? Yeah. What? Like, I, I heard about this because someone said, like, this is the weirdest trailer for a movie I've ever seen. And I can't find it anywhere. 
I am <laughs> desperate. If if any of you somehow like have a copy, it was like like the rated R trailer, like the one you can't show on normal TV. Ooh. <laughs> if anyone has a copy of that, I would love to see it just to like abuse it for five minutes. <laughs> Please send it to us. Uh, <laughs> and please help Eli rip it, rip it apart. <laughs> we will, yeah. we'll, we'll post him ripping it apart on our YouTube channel. <laughs> well, until next time, I have been Eli. And I've been Lyle. And this has been Anime Stroganoff.